This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 350 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Lyme disease in people. An update. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress, Biomita Dewormers, Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products, and Mill Creek Spreaders. This week, we take another look at Lyme disease in people. In 2013, we did our first show on the topic, and it's still our most downloaded episode ever. We have two horse people on the show that tell us about their struggles with this horrific disease. And then we have Carolyn Degnan of LymeDisease.org to get us an update on the changes in the medical community and the political landscape over the past two years. Plus, I will share a bit on my, where my chronic Lyme disease stands today. Our intro music today was written and sung by an Aussie teen named Emily Madden. She has Lyme disease for the last 10 years. This song's called Right These Wrongs. Been through a lot, we've been through it all. day we stumble, the next day we fall, and like anyone else, we had dreams, our lives were alive, once burning bright, a fading each day is an uphill fight. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, Helena. Howdy, Glenn. We have a big show today, don't we? Yeah, a little more serious than we usually do here on the Stable Scoop Radio Show. We're revisiting that episode we did a couple years ago on Lyme disease and people. And, you know, it's hard to believe, but in, in seven years, that's still the most downloaded episode we've ever had. Lyme disease is ubiquitous because ticks are ubiquitous, and they're especially important or it is an especially important topic to horse people because we do get out there where the ticks are and we all have dogs and cats who come in and sleep with us and play with us and we're you know we're a high risk group of people for Lyme that is true. Now, uh, a lot of people have asked me over the last two years how I am doing. And, I, you know, it's thanks to Carolyn Degnan, who was our guest two years ago. I talked to her off air. And I remember at that point, I was getting sick a lot uh, in 2013. I've had, for those that are new and didn't hear the previous episode, I've had Lyme for about 15 years now, chronic Lyme, and would have episodes every month where I'd get sick. I mean, at my worst, it's, it's ironic that at my worst, we lived in Massachusetts, uh, and knew Helena very well. And uh, Helena lived kind of through the worst of my Lyme where I didn't drive and I didn't go out and I didn't do things for almost a year, Uh, was in and out of the hospital, uh, all of that. And then 
Um, I kept getting treatment and treatment and treatment, finally found a doctor who was willing to treat me. And, you know, then over the last several years... You found a doctor who was willing to acknowledge that you had Lyme, Lyme in the first place. And then, you know, treat that me was with a antibiotics. I mean, there was yeah. lots of things. And I don't want to relive all of the things that we discussed in the previous episode. But I was still getting sick on a fairly regular basis. And uh, this... This lovely lady who we're having on today, Carolyn, said, you've got to go on the Lyme diet. And I had done it before, had gotten off of it. I kept getting sicker and sicker. So two years ago, after we did that episode, I went on the Lyme diet like the next day. And, <laughs> you did. Yes, and uh, still on it. A couple of years later, I'm proud to say. And what that means is no gluten and no sugar. Cut both of those things out of my diet. I cheat once a week on Sunday. I have ice cream, but that's it. That's my one. <laughs> What's week. your favorite ice cream? Uh, uh, chocolate and vanilla mixed. I just, yeah, and boy, I look forward to that so much every week. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> but, you know, it has helped. I think uh, you would know better. You and Jennifer probably know better than anybody because you, you hear me every week and hear the changes in my voice. I have not had as bad an episodes over the last two years, and you could probably attest to that. Uh, mine's neuro- they were they were frequent, and yes. I can tell you for sure that the frequency of your episodes has gone way down. And definitely. the intensity of each episode, I think, has gone way down too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you used to call it. You you would say like your brain was like salad. Yeah, and I I you know mine neurological. It affects me neurologically. It affects people different ways, and you'll hear that yeah. probably in the stories today we have from our listeners and fellow horse people who have been fighting Lyme and. You know, mine just affected me neurologically mostly, uh, other things too, but uh, mostly neurologically. Now, in the last year, I was in the hospital once, which I thought was a heart attack, and it turns out I was having a Lyme episode. Uh, wow. Because they could find nothing with the heart, and the next day I had, the next day after I was out of the hospital, I got all my usual Lyme symptoms that I went, oh, crap, I should have known, you know? Yep. Um, well, good for you for going to get it checked out. I mean, in a way, it's good that you... I know, you know my heart's well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I always say that. You go into the hospital for something, you freak out, and, you, and you're like, oh, I'm much healthier than I thought I was. Yes, exactly. I don't have that problem, my blood pressure. By the way, a couple things about this diet I'll throw out there for people who are looking for a diet. I lost weight, number one. Uh, no gluten, no sugar. You'll, you're going to lose weight because you can't really eat a lot of the other, as much of the other stuff to make up for that. So you're going to lose weight. Uh, mm. And then uh, the other thing that happened is my blood pressure went way down. I actually oh, have, that. I used to have verging on high blood pressure. My whole family had high blood pressure. And now it's low. Now I'm running 110 over 60. Uh, and I never had that in my life. And then also my, my cholesterol, my triglycerides were running over 500. And they needed to be at about 200, okay? Um, now they are down below 200 uh, after two years on this diet. Matter of fact, the doctor said, what the heck are you doing? Because I wasn't on drugs for it. Yep. And he asked what I was doing because he said, that's a tremendous drop in two years. Mm. So the diet has done a lot of other things too, you know? Yep. Uh, so it's... Uh, it's good that way. So, yes, I still have episodes. They're not as long, they're not as intense, and they're not as frequent. So that's a great thing and a wonderful thing. Now, one of the things we talked about with Lyme disease is that the medical community two years ago all along has refused to treat it. The AMA has come out and said chronic Lyme disease that I have does not exist. You get three weeks of antibiotic treatment and Lyme disease is cured, and that's it. 
Um, there And that's still, I believe, that way today. We're going to get an update on that a little later in the show, where we are politically and medically. Mm-hmm. Doctors are still getting in trouble for treating people uh, for chronic Lyme disease. Uh, they are still, what do you mean getting in trouble? Uh, losing their licenses. Like if they try and put them on antibiotics for longer than three weeks or, uh, or the insurance companies get wind of it, there'll be complaints filed with the medical association in that state because, again, they don't recognize it. Good heavens. So that's been a problem all along. We're going to probably hear some of those stories today, too. It's a problem I had back then, but way 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. And you think it would have been cured by now. There's a lot, been a lot more celebrities coming down with Lyme disease, which is to put it on the forefront of people's minds and the media yep. that we've never had before. Uh, and you probably know who some of those are. You've seen them. Uh, they've come out and are speaking about it now. So all of that has helped a little get awareness up. We're going to find out today if it's helped accomplish any, truly accomplish any change. Right. That's what we want to find out. So if you have Lyme, uh, you know, you're going to relate to a lot of things you hear today and you're going to go, that's right. And you're going to be sitting back talking to your, to your, uh, your iPhone or your Android as you're listening today. Uh, Helena also has dealt with this in her family. Yes. Uh, yep. My person. ex-husband had it. Yeah. And he struggled with it for a long time. It wasn't three weeks and done, was it? Uh, um, you know, no, it, it, it lingered for quite a few months. We did, he did get treated for it. I say fairly quickly, meaning, um, you know, once we saw the rash appear, um, but it knocked him out. I mean, and he was a big guy and it's like having the flu, you know, it definitely knocked you out. The antibiotics worked. He actually had to do two rounds, two courses of antibiotics. Um, but you know, what we learned was that, um, Lyme can actually, I mean, it like for everybody, it manifests a little bit differently. So it depends on your immune system, the configuration of all kinds of things, you know, your blood, your existing diet, all all kinds of stuff. It's not like, you know, breaking a bone where everybody experiences the same symptoms when you, you know, when you're exposed to something like that. Lyme has a way of, it's kind of like perfume, you know, you can put it on one person and it smells one way and you put it on another person. It smells another way simply because of the way it mixes with that person's body chemistry. Well, that's a really good analogy. actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what we learned was that Lyme can be very different from, from person to person. I am knock on wood have not had it. I do have, I ask for, um, a Lyme titer every year and I have one pulled on my daughter as well because the cats sleep in her bed. And we pull ticks off of her all the time. So this year I said, Grace, you know, tick check every night. And in fact, I put up a sign in the bathroom. It said tick check. Because <laughs> good idea. the faster you get to it, the faster you, you know, the less likely you are going to have what they call post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Well, and, and you you're had. absolutely right, right. Because I, you know, I probably wasn't diagnosed for years. It, it probably, it, we, we think it was two years later. Right. Uh, and ironically, we think I got it in Connecticut. And ironically, we think I got it while I was at a wedding in Old Lyme. Oh, God. So there's the ironies of ironies, because that's where they think it started. That's how it got its name. Um, yeah. Well, they did a survey, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little later with our guest from the LymeDisease.org organization. They just did a survey. It just came out. I know I participated in it, too. It was a survey that uh, was done, and I believe there were 
two or three thousand or six thousand one hundred total respondents. So this is a pretty good sized survey. Wow. And we'll talk about that later. I wanted to read some of the quotes too, just to give people an idea of the the scope of this. You said it correctly when you said it can manifest in different ways. People have stroke like symptoms. I've had them all over the years. But stroke like <laughs> symptoms, numbness, paralysis, uh it, you know, just uh like really, really, really bad joint pain. Uh, all different. And, and what one of the ones that's pretty universal amongst everybody that has chronic Lyme is chronic fatigue. Mm. You, you get tired very quickly. That is true amongst almost everybody. And here's some of the quotes. This was a male, 19 years old. Misdiagnosis and delayed treatment stole my adolescence from me. Ugh. Delayed treatment of Lyme and co-infections have done damage that I still haven't overcome. Here's a male, 59. After 12 doctors and countless MRIs, CAT scans, and other tests, and I did all that, by the way, it was finally determined that I have Lyme. This is a nightmare of unimaginable proportions. I hope that this questionnaire can help. You know, uh, misdiagnosis is one of the biggest problems with doctors and Lyme disease because it looks like other things. Uh, MS is the biggest one. It, people... Well, you know, it's funny because uh, one of my very good friends, as well as Buck, my boyfriend, he has MS, um, and their and MS is an autoimmune disorder, um, and their disorders manifest differently in each of them. One has cognitive problems, such as you have, and in Buck, he's got um, they're more physiological. He has problems with his leg and his, and his foot. Um, so when we were talking about the, the, this post treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which are these secondary infections, um, they're very, very similar. According to the CDC, they're very similar to autoimmune disorders. So it's, it's really interesting. It, it, it's totally an immune thing. It's, it's totally an immune thing. There's a ton thing. of people with Lyme that have been misdiagnosed with MS, started the treatment for MS until they figured out that wasn't it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that'll knock yeah. you off your tushy. <laughs> So on your tushy. So there's just so much misdiagnosis in there, and, and this survey reveals that. I wanted to read two more quotes to you, and then we'll get to our first guest. This is from a guy who's 58 who was a bicycle racer. He says, I was at the top of my game at my occupation of 36 years, bicycle racing. I rode and raced and typically came out in the top five of endurance athletes in the mountain bike. He rides 12, 12 or 24-hour races. It's like endurance mountain biking. God, I can't even imagine that. Um, I don't race, barely ride, sometimes don't get out of bed today because of my Lyme. I no longer work in my industry, and I'm scraping to get by. Nobody understands my problem. I've lost my personality, and I am certainly not the same person I was two years ago because of Lyme disease. Oh, that is something that you'll relate to, because when I was at my worst, uh, Jennifer used to say, you're you've lost your personality. That's what she used to say. You know, your personality went away. Um, and then here's one other female age 60 out of California. I am in year seven of this disease and has been very tough. When bitten, I was training for my third triathlon. In year three of this disease, I could not even walk uh, half a block to the post office. It oh, steals God. your life. So these are people that went from being, you know, unbelievable athletes that you and I would never dream about doing, right? Well, uh, that's kind of what's interesting is, you know, people who tend to stay indoors and forgive me, I'm going to offend some people, whatever, what else is new, but mall people, you know, TV people, they're not, they're not as exposed to this stuff the way outdoor people are. So we tend to lose a lot more 
you know, we we're, we're out there, we're exposed to the disease because we're doing these amazing things that we love. Um, we're very connected to our physicality and our, what I call our moving center. You take that away or Lyme disease takes that away and the drop off, you know, it is like stepping off of the edge of a cliff. It feels that much more intense because we're losing so much a part of who we are. It's heartbreaking to me, but I would love to talk about, I, I'm, I'm really interested to talk about what, what's new in preventing this and, and stopping it from stealing our lives. Well, we're going to get to our first guest uh, coming up next. We have Lindsay Cassidy, and she is Reese Koffler Stanfield's sister, who is the host of the Dressage Radio Show. And her sister came down with Lyme, and we're going to talk to her about her struggle. Also, a Grand Prix dressage rider, Lindsay and Reese grew up in a family where they were they were into dressage. Her mother, uh, you know, took them all to dressage shows, and that's how they started. Lindsay then went on to have a family and stopped riding as much. Reese kept going and is, uh, you know, host of our dressage radio show and a Grand Prix rider. But Lindsay's still involved with horses, and we're going to talk to her about her struggle coming up right after this word from Biomedia Dewormers. Talk about keeping our horses safe. Well, worms is something that we have to worry about. You don't want a sick horse. We're talking about illness today. You don't want a sick horse. Then you're going to want to make sure you have your deworming on schedule. We all know the importance of deworming our horses, and Dr. Ellefson of Biomedia Equine is helping us make sure we are doing it right. Listen for his four-part series the first week of every month on this very show. I just wanted to remind everyone, if you are due for deworming, why not save a few bucks on the popular Biomedia line of wormers, including Equimax, Bimectin, Exodus, Exodus Multidose, and Equal. You can find coupons and special offers at buymediaequine.com, including a variety of rebate offers from cash to free ivermectin. You can also get up to $2 a dose back for Equimax. And while you're at Buy Me to Equine, get your free horse health record keeper, and you can just download it there. Plus, learn a bunch about parasites and deworming at Buy Me to, that's B-I-M-E-D-A, equine.com. We at the Horse Radio Network all use Buy Me to Dewormers because we want the best for our horses, and we know you want the best for yours, too. Buy Me to equine.com and tell them the Horse Radio Network sent you. Well, hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Before we get started, though, Helena and I were freaking out before we started the interview <laughs> because we were hearing your voice and you sound exactly like Reese. Yes, I sure do. I think my mom even has trouble with that. All the inflections are the same, everything. People listening that listen to the Dressage show also are going to be freaked out. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We're not faking it. This is not Reese. This is actually her younger sister. So uh, we're all good there. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, yes. <laughs> Lindsay you're, you were a horse person for a long time, dressage, and rode to very high levels. Uh, so you're outside and around animals all the time and probably pulled a thousand ticks off your horses and your pets. Where, sure did. <laughs> so what happened when you started down your road of getting sick? Well, you know, at the time I was living um, with my coach in Pennsylvania, And um, I was getting ready uh, to actually, I had decided to not ride Young Riders the last year of my eligibility and to kind of go and really try to make Gladstone. And we kind of were lucky and did that. It was 2005. Um, So you were trying to be on the U.S. team is what it comes down to. Yes, we were actually trying to do the Pan Ams. So 
you know, kind of decided, hey, let's give it a shot. And, and it was really a wonderful experience. And um, actually, at the time, had a very uh, difficult horse. Many remember that way. Um, that had to be ridden <laughs> that multiple times That seems to run in the day. family, too, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I tell you. He, uh, he just was kind of relentless. He had to be ridden multiple times a day. And, you know, was really just a very... Um, an easy warrior type of horse type. And uh, so that was difficult to deal with. So at the same time, as I was dealing with this lines starting, he was needing to be ridden multiple times like we were talking about. And, you know, I just got to the point, I was talking to my mom on the phone and I, I was still up in Pennsylvania and I said, you know, I'm just exhausted. And she said, you know, anybody that rides a horse, <laughs> you know, three times in a day is exhausted plus riding all the other horses. And, you know, I kind of said, yeah, you know, I guess you're right. I think at the time I was 21. So I was, you know, I was not old, uh, you know, not thinking there was really anything wrong. And um, I think by the time I came home in April, I, I knew there was a, a problem. And, you know, I talked again. I said, you know, mom, I talked to my dad, who, as we talked about, is a physician, but is an eye doctor, um, an ophthalmologist. And, uh, you know, they both said, Lindsay, you know, just, you know, you're probably just tired. It's okay. Play. <laughs> yes. You know, let's just give it some time. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Yeah. You know, well, and, we and, competitive types do tend to run ourselves a little ragged. So yeah, yeah. there's right. your, that's your first, <laughs> that's your first obstacle to diagnosis is your that's general exactly, life. That's exactly right. So I just didn't know, you know, I was thinking, well, this is, you know, okay, fine. I'll, you know, I'll take some vitamins and go on. And I, I guess it was about a month later that we revisited it. And, you know, I, at that time I was not in school. I had taken some time off to be doing this Pan Am trials and everything. And, you know, I was sleeping on the couch and it was probably right after lunch and I slept till about five o'clock and, you know, mom said, gosh, you know, do you sleep like this all the time? I was like, yes, I do. You know, I'm just exhausted. And, um, so after that happened, she said, well, maybe you should go and, you know, see our primary care physician who was fantastic at the time. And I went to go see him and um, I, I said, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I do know everybody in the barn had had Lyme's disease. Every horse in the barn had pretty much had the Lyme's disease. And I kind of mentioned that to him casually. I said, you know, uh, I could sleep all the time. I know everybody up there had Lyme's disease. I would pull ticks off of myself all the time, but I never had a bullseye. So you had, always, a, but you had an inkling at this point though, you, that the line had floated through your brain thinking this, okay. I did. And you know, and mom and dad kept saying, you know, that's just, you know, highly doubtful, you know, type of thing. And, right. uh, so, you know, I went to this physician and, and he had been, you know, our family physician for a long time. And I just said, you know, something's not right. And he said, okay, I'm listening. I understand. He's like, you're 21. He's like, so besides lines, um, you know, we have mono potentially. Mm. And said, I really want to pull blood work on you. And, you know, I'm going to start you on some doxycycline, which is the treatment for Lyme. And we'll see what happens in two weeks when I get your blood work back. And he was really sweet because he kind of said, you know, I've only ever had one other person in my practice have more disease. And so how many years ago was this? This was in 2005. So 10 years ago now. Okay. So, so a number of years ago. Okay. Yeah, so so quite a while ago, and I and he he called back two weeks later, and he said, "You know what? You're number two. <laughs> wow. And I said, "Well, that's that's great." <laughs> so we kind of went over what to expect. He 
did not have a lot of experience treating Lyme's disease and was very upfront about it and, and told me, I think that we should probably either look down at the university at the infectious disease clinic there at the University of Kentucky, or we need to explore places up north that have more of this and see more of this. And so I took that first round of doxycycline. I was doing pretty well. I'd taken a couple months of it. I was starting to feel a little bit better and uh, started going back to school. I, at the time, you know, we had talked about having a PICC line versus having oral antibiotics. That would be an intravenous line put in? The intravenous line. He had talked about it and he said, you know, that's kind of a second stage to me. And we all agreed kind of, you know, I was very active in the barn, obviously. So a very dirty environment, not a place to be with a pick line and, an, you know, an intravenous line in your arm. And so besides, it's hard, to, it's hard to carry that little wheelie thing around with the, <laughs> yeah, it's just hard. You got it. That's yeah, exactly it right. It doesn't go through the sand too well or. Yeah. Not a good look at school <laughs> walking around. No, here. you get made fun of a lot. Oh, yeah. oh, she can rock it. <laughs> she can. I know, right? Totally cool. Sorry, didn't know with the sleeve. <laughs> so, you know, so I went back to school. I did really well for about half a year until it came to finals. And then all the symptoms came back, very sleepy. At that time, too, I started to have the joint pain. Mm. And, you know, so then we started to say, okay, well, maybe this is a little bit more serious now. So that is actually the time that I ended up going to the University of Kentucky. And um, the treating doctor there agreed. She said, um, and at this time, I had qualified for Gladstone, and it was time to go. Oh, God. So... You know, so she said, listen, she said, this is a once in a lifetime experience. I want you to go. I want you to have fun. <laughs> and when you come back, that's it. Just don't fall asleep on your horse while you're there. That's what she, I yeah. know, right? That's exactly what she said. Uh, Although the horse would be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Just he didn't want to go to Pan Am's anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. around. So it was hilarious. I love it. But so, you know, we got up there. I had a ball. Thank goodness I had that experience. And it truly was a once-in-a-lifetime experience and so fun to be, you know, at Gladstone and, and do that and be a part of that. And, um, you know, but when I got home, I took a month off and, you know, had the, the intravenous line. And um, I was kind of told also usually by the doctor and by my mother, who made me swear not to go in the barn, <laughs> you know, to stay out of the barn and not be in dirty environments and, you know, really kind of sit still and let it work. So that was about a six-week treatment. So that kind of was the first time I realized, okay, we're really dealing with something more than just, you know, a regular kind of infectious disease like mono. So, you know, and I thought, well, boy, this is really frustrating. (laughs) It's a lot of, uh, a lot of damper on and all sorts of things. So, you know, and it, it was interesting to me too at the time, just being young, the way people look at you when you're out with a line like that in your arm. Mm. And, you know, so that was new to me as well. You know, being younger, I was like, well, wait, I'm not infectious really. Yeah, try <laughs> to get a infectious. date with that I'm thing in young your arm. And healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we laugh about it actually because I see you, I met my husband. <laughs> Well, and so I did have the pick line. I know. And he was like, well, this is interesting. 
Well, you know, you knew you had a good guy then, though, right? I mean... I know. I tell you, he stuck around. Bless his heart. Now, did you get better? Or just trying to move things along here a little bit. Did you get better or sicker after that? I did get better after that. I really did. After the six weeks of therapy, I did very, very well. And, I, you know, I went about eight months really having no symptoms. The joint pain had gone away. The... um, the tiredness had gone away, the fatigue. Um, right after they took the pick line out, they did treat me, and I did go to physical therapy for what they were calling at the time chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, they were still not and calling it Lyme? They, you know, they were, they were all saying, and every doctor I had kind of encountered said, you know, um, you know, we could call this fibromyalgia or we could call this a post-Lyme or a chronic fatigue, but Mm. there's not really that much information about Lyme after you've been treated, and it's a mystery to everybody, so good luck kind of thing, you know? That's what you dealt with, Glenn. Yeah, that's exactly what I dealt with. Yes, you know, it's just really frustrating, and that was the most frustrating part to me. You know, I was thinking to myself, just tell me what I need to do, I'll do it, and I'll fix it. And you're 22 years old. This is supposed to be like the time when, you know, health is not a concern. That's exactly life. right. Right. That's exactly right. So what a big, you know, kind of change for me and, you know, a difficult change for me and kind of a change that thought around, you know, what do I, you know, how am I kind of going to function for the rest of my life? Mm. So, so, what, about, so what What did happen after that eight months then? What, so what? eight months after I started to have the joint pain again, at the time, the original physician that had seen me retired. <laughs> and I moved over to a new family practice physician who actually had treated quite a bit of Lyme. And so he was great about it. And he kind of said, okay, well, you know, we might just have to do some doxycycline for a month again. And, you know, you could take some Flexeril or some Lortab for the pain and we can just kind of manage it, you know, and, and maybe we'll throw in some prednisone when you need it, <laughs> you know, but again, I'm not one that really likes to take medication and, you know, also during this time, I started to have sleep issues. Yeah, that's common too. So, yeah. and enough that I had to go see a sleep psychologist. Yeah, I used to sleep like uh, two, three hours, get up, work two, three hours, go back to bed for a couple hours. Yes. That's how I functioned. Yeah. Did you... And, and did, everybody... So you're, you're taking these, these new meds and, and no one's really quite calling it post-Lyme disorder, syndrome, whatever... Is, are you thinking at any point that now this is going to be something that's cyclical? Because we've, I guess we've come to learn since then that the, these I posts. I did. So okay. that was the start of it, that okay. eight months after the treatment. And that's when, you know, now I can tell that it's about every nine months that I have some sort of attack with this. And it's interesting that we're doing this now because I'm going through it right now. And, you know, it's, it's, are you, I want to compare notes here a little bit. I get it every month. And for me, it's a couple days every month. Um, so, and it depends on when the little buggers wake up and what happens is the little guys lay dormant, the little, little critters lay dormant in your system. And what happens is they wake up and it's your system fighting the little guys that make you sick. It's not actually the little guys. It's, it's the, it's the fighting of the little guys. So now when you, when that happens, I can usually tell, I have certain symptoms that happen to me every time and Jennifer can see them too. I can tell that mood swings is one of them. 
uh, I can tell that it's coming. I can tell that in two days I'm going to be sick. I'll, you know, I'll tell Helena, oh, I can't do it Thursday. I'm going to be sick. Yep. Um, yes. No show Thursday. And so you can kind of tell too. I can, you know, and you know, I think that, and I'm not, I can't quite pinpoint it, but I'm pretty sure I deal with just a daily, pretty significant pain that I've learned to deal with. And I don't know if you can tell that, Glenn, but you know, if, if I never had the, me, I never had the arthritis type of pain that you, you, the joint pain that you have uh, on occasion, I would have it, but not chronic. Mine was more, is more neurological. So yeah. this is where it's similar to MS. It depends on what part of your immune system the little buggers, literally, um, have decided to settle into. Um, and what kinds of buggers? Because there's more than one kind, um, right. right? That settle My in their secondary... The limeys. <laughs> the limeys, I like that. Yeah. So it, it, it... and. It's an inflammation, essentially, right? So if, you're, if your immune system is responding to this attack, attack 90% of us are, will respond with some kind of inflammation. So, Glenn, yours may be in you know, the mood ones, the psychological ones, um, maybe more around your endocrine system or your brain. Um, so but then they, you, they can live in your joints, too, which is just... Yeah. Well, and it, it's so many... God. I can tell you a thousand different symptoms I've had. And, Lindsay, you probably... And, and I'll get a symptom, and I'll say, oh, this is really weird. You know, uh, I can't feel my fingers on my left arm this morning. And, Jennifer, and that's well, exactly it. Yep. I couldn't hold a pen the other day. Yep. And it's, it, mm. every time I get mine, I have different symptoms. Uh, now I've kind of recognized... I've been doing this for 15 years, so I kind of know what all... You know, the 50 different symptoms are going to be. Um, or what they could manifest. But occasionally I get surprised with a new one. How do you manage yours? Are you on a diet? What are you doing? I, um, I am on just a kind of a clean eating diet. I don't, I'm not very good about being very specific about, you know, anything. Uh, besides that's because you and your I sister just, both like food. Uh, <laughs> I, do, I have to truly. <laughs> good yes. food, healthy good food. food. I've had dinner yes. with Reese. She likes her good food. Um, yes, we absolutely. all do. Lindsay, you know, I, and I think, the well, other me, really yeah, frustrating thing is having children to have to take care of with this. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 this happened after the last time we had the show two years ago, and I'm going to offer my piece of advice to you. Um, and it really worked for me, and probably my symptoms are 75% less than they were two years ago. Uh, and that is a gluten-free, sugar-free diet. Uh, the no, gluten-free, yeah. sugar-free diet, cutting out all gluten, all sugar, really, and that's a hard diet. You, it's mm. easy to cut out gluten. It's easy to cut out sugar. When you're cutting out both, that's tough. Uh, but <laughs> it really has. How helped. quickly did you see um, improvement from that? Within a month. When you decided within days. a month. Wow. Yeah. 30 days. Really and what was your most helped. striking improvement, Glenn? I just didn't have the monthly. The monthly things started to go away. I was like, oh, I didn't have one that month. You know, I didn't have the neurological problems that month. And. You know, all the other benefits I've achieved from it, I talked about earlier in the show, but, uh, you know, lower blood pressure, all that stuff happened along with that diet. Lower mm-hmm. cholesterol, all of that happened. Uh, so it was a general overhaul, better health. But yeah, that definitely worked. And the lady we're going to have on after you, Lindsay, uh, is the one that talked me into it two years ago. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. It is gluten-free, sugar-free. I'll send you some links on it. I really, truly, everybody that has done this diet on, that has Lyme has seen, a, most of them, a significant improvement. Wow. Uh, um, because the sugar and the gluten, and gluten converts to sugar. Isn't that how it goes, Helena? Uh, uh, 
the, yeah. And by the way, that includes alcohol, Lindsay. In your bloodstream. Oh, oh yeah. I know. Lindsay dying over there. Oh, you just there shot me the in the heart. I can give up bread, but don't take my wine away. Uh, because, uh, because alcohol is so uh, full of sugar. You know, that's the is. problem with alcohol. And I like, you know, I used to like strawberry daiquiris, which are like 100,000 grams of sugar, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. So, you know, but if I have an alcoholic drink today, I will not sleep all night. Yeah, I just won't. I have noticed that. Yeah. See, you're at the point now where I think you need to go on the diet and uh, see what it does for you. I really think it'll help you. I am. I am definitely up for that. (laughs) I'll talk to you off the air and uh, I'll send you some details and stuff on on what I did. It's a process. You're not going to like it. I promise you. They do have gluten free beer, though. There you go. Yeah, but is it sugar-free? Is it sugar-free is the question, and you have to look that up. There's hard ciders that are. There's gluten-free vodka. Oh, girl, you'll be fine. Gluten-free tequila. (laughs) There we go. There we go. All of my favorite tequilas are there. (laughs) Ornithos. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're not helping me here, Alina. What? She can go gluten-free. The girl needs to live. She's got kids. I see vodka (laughs) and tequila in her face. Every once in a while, you just need a drink. (laughs) Lindsay, I'll get a hold of you off the air about that. That sounds but thank great. Thank you for stopping by and sharing your story. We're just trying, you know, the you know we we have heard from so many people after the last show that they found out they have Lyme after listening to it because it made them think, and we're hoping that happens again after this one. So, Lindsay, thank you so much, and we really appreciate it. And thank you uh, for lending us your sister too on a regular basis. She does a great. Oh. We love having her host that show. She does a great job. Well, I have a good time listening to that one, too. So, Thank you, Lindsay. Appreciate it. Thank you all. So you've been thinking about getting a manure spreader? Well, here's why I think you should consider Mill Creek. They've been in business for almost 30 years with continuously improved designs to meet the needs of horse owners like you. At Mill Creek, models are virtually maintenance and trouble-free thanks to their exclusive sealed bearings. They're the only compact spreaders you'll find like that. Mill Creek customer service is second to none. Call them and you'll reach a knowledgeable person in their own factory right in Pennsylvania. With eight models available, they're happy to help you choose the right spreader for your budget and barn. Five models can be pulled with ATV or garden tractors. If you'd rather have a PTO drive, they've got those too. At Mill Creek, spreaders have the lowest sides and tongue weight of any on the market. One of the biggest problems we always had with our spreaders is they just rust. Everything rusts out, and then you have to replace the metal, and it's just a pain. If you don't want to ever have to worry about your manure spreader rusting again, then consider the Mill Creek Stainless Steel line. They are the world's first and only compact manure spreaders built out of stainless steel, and they're warrantied against rust-through for life. Julie Goodnight, clinician and star of Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight on RFD-TV, has owned and used the Mill Creek Spreader every day for over nine years. She knows they represent great value and quality and is proud to endorse them. So for the best compact manure spreading equipment you can buy, check out Mill Creek's lineup. Years of trouble-free operation will get you out of the barn faster and give you more time for your horses. Give them a call today at 800-311-1323 or visit their website at MillCreekSpreaders.com. The perfect holiday gift.
Next up, we have back with us after a two-year hiatus, Carolyn Degnan of LymeDisease.org. She's back with us to give us an update on the medical and political climate and how it has changed since we talked last. And then, uh, to end the show, we're going to hear from another one of our listeners about how Lyme has affected he and his children. Well, hi, Carolyn. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Well, we're glad that you're back. And I have to give you a thank you. A couple years ago, when we did this last show, but by the way, Carolyn, which is our, still our most downloaded episode because a couple of the Lyme organizations picked it up and ran with it. Um, when we did the last show, I was still, I, my chronic Lyme, I was getting sick a lot and I'd been fighting with it for 12 years at that point and it was starting to get a little worse. And you talked to me off the air and I talked to you about the fact that I had gone off my Lyme diet and you encouraged me to get back on it. Well, I did the next day and I'm happy to say that two years later, I would say I'm 50% better than I was. Um, oh, that's exciting. Yes. Yeah, so no gluten, no sugar, basically, is what my diet can, is. And it definitely has helped. My episodes are less frequent and less intense. So thank that's you. That's great. I know it's a, it's a hard diet to follow, but um, the consequences of not following it are worse than following it. <laughs> definitely. And Helena will attest to that because she, you know, had to do the show with me and cover <laughs> when I was bad. So, you know... <laughs> She she thanks you too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And my wife really thanks you, by the way. She really, really thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we forget about the spouses and all this, but they're the ones that have to cover for us when we're sick, you know? Uh how true. And the parents. And the parents. Yep. Yeah, with teenagers or, or or people even living at home that are older. It uh mm-hmm. it definitely is true. Sometimes I I thought my wife had had it worse because I was living it. I was kind of out of it mentally, you know. So for me, I was just kind of out of it. She had to cover everything. She had to do everything. I always thought she had it a little bit worse than I did, to be honest. A lot of our caretakers need help, too. And they need the support because they take on everything. And they have to. Because when you have neurologic Lyme or the other things that go with Lyme, you cannot function as an individual. We we were just talking about earlier in the show too with Lena about how uh, you know I lost my personality for a period of about a year, and you know we were do- we read some quotes from people that were in your most recent survey at LymeDisease.org actually about losing oh, good. Per- yeah about losing personality and boy that is that is the toughest thing here is you're just not yourself. No, and as much as you want to be, there are days you just can't muster that old person out of you. Where are we at now? We're two years down the line, okay? So we're, since we talked the last time, we did kind of a review about where everything was at that point at the beginning of the show. So let's start medically. Are we any further along than we were two years ago, one with the testing and two with the treatment? There are some new tests that are out. Um, they are not FDA approved at this moment, probably never will be, but um, they're becoming more sensitive, not still 100%. Um, as far as... Um, well, Carolyn, let's stop you there. So before, uh, you know, before these new tests were out, the best we were able to determine, and what your most recent sur- survey shows with people who have Lyme, is that at best we could determine they were about 50% accurate. Has that improved? 
No, that is still about 50% accurate. If you're using the Western Blot Analyza test, it's a two-tiered testing system that the IDSA follows. So those are the ELISA first, which has a 50% accuracy. And if that comes back positive, they'll do the Western Blot, which has about a 60% accuracy. So you're still rolling the dice. Okay. Well, why are the tests not FDA approved? What's the problem? What's the holdup there? There are many problems. The tests look for um, antibodies. And if you are unfortunately an individual who has a very weak immune system, you may not be making antibodies to the Lyme bacteria, or you've done the test too early before the antibodies can be made. So they're... So they're saying that, that it's just not accurate enough. No, it's not accurate. Uh, you really be, need to be looking for the DNA of the Borrelia. Oh. Wow. And there's some new tests. Uh, the PCR test that Igenix does looks for DNA. Um, it, it's a lot more sensitive, but it's still not 100% accurate. Hmm. So what do you do when you... So it, is it... Obviously, it's not 100% accurate. We're not so much concerned about false positives, but it's false negatives that are, are really going to be a big problem. Um, so what, what, is, what can you do? I mean, you, ha- you, you think you're exposed, you subject yourself to this testing that isn't 100% accurate, you get a negative response, um, but you know something's not right. What, do, what can you do next? We suggest you look for a Lyme literate doctor. And those doctors are members of the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, which is shortened to ILADS. And they firmly believe that you need testing, but they don't rely 100% on the test. They take your symptoms, your likely exposure to being in a tick-infested area, and put all those together and then decide whether to treat or not. And okay. in, in most cases, uh, send you to 45 different specialists to make sure you don't have everything else in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's very true. But yeah. in some ways, that's a good thing because they want to make sure there's no other underlying disease that could be causing your symptoms. So they want to rule that out. It, it's not an easy de- disease to diagnose or treat. And, and now um, have, so on the medical side, as far as treatment is concerned, has anything changed there? Are we still looking at the three weeks of antibiotics and then if you find a Lyme doctor, a longer run of antibiotics? Are, has anything changed there? Is there a new drug or anything? There's a lot on, that's come on board and uh, real excited. Dr. Richard Horowitz just uh, published a book called Why I Can't Get Better, Solving the Mystery of Lyme Disease. And he looks at Lyme disease as a multi-system infectious disease syndrome, which he's renamed MSIDS, M-S-I-D-S. And he firmly believes that Lyme is the cause, but there are all these other factors that are coming in, like diet, uh, mold exposure, toxin exposures, um, and so he's looking at treating the whole body. And in his book, he has this system symptom list that you can check off and see whether any of these symptoms are going on. They're now looking at Lyme, not just as Lyme, but as this whole process that you have to, if you have mold exposure, you have to take care of the mold exposure before you can take care of 
treating or getting rid of the Lyme. Carolyn, it's um, funny you that say was that. You. It's yep. funny you say that because Helena and I were thinking this. When I was at my worst, when I was at my sickest in and out of the hospital and just could not function, no driving, nothing, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was, we were living in a house temporarily for about six months that had black mold. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. yes. they actually tore that house down after we moved out, didn't they, Helena, because of the Yes, mold. they did. And that's when I got the... It's so funny you just said that. Yeah. Well, we're starting to put this big puzzle together that it's not just the bacteria from the tick. It's all these environmental toxins that are also making people who have an um, immune system that's compromised become even more compromised. Well, now, while we're on medical, it's the medical community, the American Medical Association, and so forth. The uh, what's, what's the ID? Is it uh, the uh, international? What is the one that uh, ID? The I- IDSA? Yeah. What, what's that stand for again? Infectious Disease Society of America. Thank you. Are they both saying that there is no such, still saying that there is no such thing as chronic Lyme and it's all in my head? They are still saying that. Uh, we went through a legislative period where we challenged their guidelines. They put together a panel two years ago to look at the guidelines. Unfortunately, they, the people on the panel were all from their side of the table. So nothing changed in the guidelines. You still have to have a doctor-verified EM rash um, and a positive ELISA or Western blot to say that you have Lyme disease. Which rules out 50% of the people that have Lyme disease, basically. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So nothing's changed there, really. Have we had any victories? I know a couple of states were were proposing bills that would force doctors to treat Lyme disease, acknowledge that it exists. Uh, New York has had some victories, and we've pretty much followed them as um, the state to watch. Um, There's some sort of victories in the U.S. Senate. Small ones, but not major ones. So we're still chasing the eight ball. Um, The Infectious Disease Society has put together a new panel and at our urging has brought on what they call a patient advocate. But one of our people from LymeDisease.org called the patient advocate and she'd never heard of Lyme. So I don't know how she's going to be anything. What? She never heard of of Lyme? She's never heard of one. And she's the patient advocate? That sounds like something yeah. the FEI would do. Who's, <laughs> wait, who, ever, who alive has not heard of Lyme? <laughs> right, exactly. This is, well, no, there are a lot, a lot of doctors haven't heard of <laughs> What? No, this is not. That's a lie. I don't believe it. I don't, so, I don't believe it. So the, uh, the disease, what, uh, it, what is it again? Infectious disease. Uh, Society of America, IDFA. Puts a panel together to talk about Lyme disease and has a patient advocate that has never had Lyme disease. Right. Ugh. That's true. Ugh. Why is this? Is it why? Okay, so it still comes back to the question, and I know that, uh, that I keep saying it's the insurance companies because they're easy to blame, but why is it that this disease, when so many others, so many others get acknowledgement and testing and funding and everything else, why is this one that is so big now and such a problem for a lot of people that ruins their lives not acknowledged? Why can't we say it exists? Well, you know, I love conversation we had. I said it followed the money, and it still goes back to the money. It's an extremely expensive disease to treat if you do not catch it early. 
Mm. And because the tests are so inaccurate, the chances of catching it early are very small. So one way to stem the horrendous costs when you get to chronic disease is to not acknowledge that it exists. Therefore, you don't have to treat it. So when there is a magic drug that cures it, then they'll acknowledge it exists, right? That's when it'll change. If they have a financial stake in that drug. That's right. That's right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. When they can sell that drug for $1,000 a pop. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Well, that's depressing. The whole <laughs> How do you do this yes. every day? <laughs> it's depressing. But on a positive note, we've gotten a lot of press, good press, because some celebrities have come forward to say they had Lyme and that they had are having a hard time getting treated. And that, I think, is pushing Lyme to the forefront more than it was two years ago. Can you name a couple that, of them off the top? Sure. Avril Lavigne's probably the biggest one at this moment. Um, she's a Canadian citizen who can't get treated in Canada because they don't believe Lyme crosses the border. And <laughs> Ticks don't cross borders. What's wrong with you, Carolyn? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the Canadian... They need cancer. passports. It's a hassle, so they just don't bother the ticket. That's right. <laughs> they don't want to give the passport. No, it costs money. Why bother? We can just stay down here. Yeah, so it's she's being treated in New York. Anyway. So, <laughs> so Avril Lavigne, okay, and she's being vocal about it, obviously. Very vocal. I, I don't watch this show, but Yolanda Foster on... Housewives of um, L.A., I think that's the name. She's okay, David Real Foster's wife. Yeah. Um, is extremely vocal and is all, all over Facebook about her line challenges. Daryl Hall from Hollow Notes is yep. recovering from Lyme disease and has become a spokesperson. And Amy Tan Ryder. Yeah, which we talked about it, the last time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, she's even more vocal now. So we're getting people coming out and talking about the, the disease, and they're catching people's ears. And probably the biggest one that happened recently was Dear Abby. <laughs> um, yes, I just she, saw that. Yeah, she had a question about Lyme, and she came out and talked about her husband had a battle with it. So, And she even said, I forget what the article said exactly, but it, it was, don't believe your doctors, you know, get informed. Uh, so she, yeah. she was pretty much coming out in, uh, on our side of that. And she's read by like 110 million people across the country. So, uh Let's take a break here for a commercial. When we come back, I want to talk to you, if you don't mind. I, I, I have it up here, and Lena, I put a link to it in the show notes, about mm -hmm. the survey that you just did that had 6,000 respondents. I was one of them, by the way. Um, oh, good. Can we talk a little bit about that and what you found in the survey? Uh, yeah. Can we chat about that a little bit? All right, we'll be right back. Hello, folks. Uncle Jimmy here, and welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy brand products, where funny names mean serious products. Featuring... Uncle Jimmy's Squeezy Buns, the squeezably soft hand treat that your horse will love. The award-winning Uncle Jimmy's Hangin' Balls. Uncle Jimmy's Sugar-Free Ball. The incredible Licky Thing, also in sugar-free. The amazing Uncle Jimmy's Pecker Wrecker. And the Big Licky. The infamous Uncle Jimmy Hangin' Ball was first designed by me for my own horses to help reduce the bad habits which come from stall boredom. It now can be found around the world. This nutritious, flavored-filled boredom buster will help keep your horses occupied and happy around the clock. 
properly hung, it will last for weeks, provided you don't let your horse pin it, and Uncle Jimmy knows who you are. The ball comes in four flavors, apple, carrot, peppermint, molasses, and now sugar-free. Once again, welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy's brand products, where funny names mean serious products, and satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. Well, let's talk about the survey that you guys did. Was this done by LymeDisease.org? It was. Okay. Um, we put it out to every Lyme group that we know and asked them to put it out to the support groups across the country. And I believe we had over 6,000 responses. Which is really good. And it said 97% were diagnosed with Lyme by a physician. 81% had supporting laboratory tests. I was one of the ones that didn't have supporting laboratory tests. And then it said half had been ill for 10 years or more. So 50% Ooh. were Ooh. chronic Lyme, and I fell into that category. You know, there was a lot of things in here that I thought were interesting. Uh, one of them was that uh, the mixed diagnosis and the delayed diagnosis, that 61% had a delayed diagnosis of more than two years. Well, as we know, and we discussed earlier in the show, and Helena so eloquently put, you know, the longer the diagnosis goes, the sicker you're more likely to be. This is a disease where if it's caught early, caught right away, that the antibiotics do help and do, you know, help a lot of people. Not everybody, but they do help a lot of people, and then they go on with their lives. Uh, if you're like me and didn't get it caught for two years or more, uh, then then the struggles are a little worse, and that's what this showed. That's very true, and that follows the clinical history we see in our clinic, that if you, we catch it early, those individuals go on to lead very productive lives and have very small financial impacts, but... For those who it's not caught earlier, they're misdiagnosed and they're treated for another disease for years, and then they get a Lyme diagnosis. The financial impact to them and the impact on their families is huge. Mm. The uh, Helena, you and I were talking about MS earlier. Helena's boyfriend has MS, and uh, of course, that's one of the things that people are misdiagnosed with that have Lyme disease. Some of the others, the top five of the misdiagnoses with this group were mood disorder, which that is certainly something that happens when you have Lyme. Chronic fatigue, we talked about that earlier as one of the things that almost everybody with Lyme gets. That's one of the common ones. Mm. Uh, fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis. Arthritis is something that is pretty common amongst a lot of Lyme patients. So those top five and then multiple sclerosis are, are, are the misdiagnosis. The ironic thing is chronic fatigue and rheumatoid arthritis and mood disorders, they're not really misdiagnoses. They're all part of the diagnosis for Lyme disease. Yes, they are. They're not separate diseases at all. They're all part of what Dr. Um, Horowitz is now calling MSIDS, multi-system infectious disease syndrome. Right. Because so, you have so many things wrong with you. At one time, right. That you can't... Mm -hmm. Which you makes know, it even harder to isolate. You, you've got, and you could have other things going on. So, man, this monster just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Well, it does, and the, the difficulty that we have is that we have a, a medical system that allows you 15 minutes with your doctor, and in those 15 minutes, he's supposed to figure out all the things that are wrong with you, 
And so he takes the probably the one that's the most pressing at the time and gives you a diagnosis. Right. What do the people look for? Now, everybody listening to this show are horse people. We all pull ticks off of our dogs and our horses every day. We're around ticks all the time. We are probably, of all the groups out there, the most susceptible to Lyme disease. Our horses get Lyme disease, right? Our dogs yeah. do, too. So we're yeah. the, probably the most susceptible group you're going to talk to, Carolyn. <laughs> what do the people look for? In children, you look for mood changes, behavioral changes, um, crankiness, just this feeling of malaise that they just can't get better, um, temper tantrums. Chronic well, that's hard to tell in your children when you got to distinguish it from the normal temper tantrums, you know? Yes. It's like, is this a different temper tantrum or is this just a normal temper tantrum? Right, right. <laughs> um, also, we look at school issues, failure to be able to read, um, failure to be able to do math equations. They're just, it, it's such a smorgasbord that I could give you a list a list of a hundred different symptoms, and one person would have twenty of them. Another person would have twenty different ones. And another misconception that everybody's heard it is that there's a rash. If you get uh, the deer tick, which are the tiny little ticks, and we all know what they are because we all pull them off our horses and our dogs and ourselves. So you pull the deer tick off and you don't get a rash. People think you can't get Lyme. And that's not true. Is it still about 40% of the people like me? I never got the rash. About 40% of the people don't get the rash? About 25% of the people get the rash. And okay. the rest of them don't, or they don't see it. It may be in, up in their hair. It may be on a part of their body they're not looking at. Okay. Um, or they didn't, they didn't get the rash. And, okay. But if you do you know, get the rash, you do have Lyme disease. Okay. So one of the things that I've noticed is um, that, uh, so, so we obviously, we, we have cats. They come in the house. They sleep on our, our beds. And you know what? I, no matter no matter what happens, you can, like, if you go out in the woods, you can tuck your pants into your socks, you can put hats on, you can spray yourself. But there are just, there's some things that you cannot prevent. So, you know, my daughter ends up with one or two cats in her bed. That's why we do tick checks regularly. But what I've found is that um, we tend to not find them on her body. When we find ticks, we find them in her hair. And she has, like, really silky, fine blonde hair, which obviously makes them easy to spot when we check. But are there places on people where the ticks will tend to go versus other places? Like, do they like to go for the head? Um, where, you know, where do you start to look when you do tick checks? They like the groin. They like the armpits, the waistband, and particularly up in the, on the neck in the hairline. Okay. So your, your daughter's normal. <laughs> she, gets them in the, she gets them in the right places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can't, that's really for us, no matter what I try, I put all kinds of flea and tick products on my horses, my cats, my dogs. Um, you, you know, you bundle up as much as you can. But when you're on a pony and you're riding through the woods, you know, horses, they take you right under that low-hanging branch, don't they? Especially when you're wearing that brand new fancy helmet. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but what happens is, so so they, um, and your horses, when they, um when they graze, you know, the ticks end up on their muzzles and we go and we kiss our horses' muzzles. So it's, it's almost impossible for us to prevent the tick. It really is. Um, there is a, 
a great product out there to put on yourself or the ticks. I mean, the, the horses or your dogs. Um, except for the dogs can use Frontline and get their shot once a year, and that seems to keep the ticks from attaching. There is not a vaccine for horses. Um, I've heard other horse people say they use uh, Avon Skin So Soft on their horses. Um, I have not tried it on mine, but um, I just am vigilant. And if I do find a tick on them, I put gloves on to pull the ticks off. All right. Well, very good, Carolyn. Where can people find out more information? Um, for Dr. Horowitz's book, it's www.cangetbetter.com. And for just general information, you can go to LymeDisease.org, which is our website. And just Google Lyme disease. <laughs> it's, it's all over right now. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, Practice Manager for Pacific Frontier Medical and also working with LymeDisease.org. Well, we'll talk to you in another two years, Carolyn. Let's hope things are better. All right, great. (laughs) I hope so, too. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Helena, one of the reasons that we did this episode a couple of years ago was to just for awareness, to make people aware, also to tell my story a little bit about uh, why some weeks I'm a little brighter than other weeks and a little funnier or a little happier or whatever. Uh, And we found out it worked. Several people discovered they had Lyme disease because of uh, our show and because of what we did. And they started doing research or they, they found a diet. They started looking at alternate forms of treatment. And we're glad we could do all of that, and that's why we wanted to revisit it again, is if you're somebody who's suffering with something that sounds like the symptoms might match, then maybe you'll do a little more research. And if we could help one person with this extended version of Stable Scoop, then we have done our job. So to continue this extended version, we are going to go next to somebody who did discover uh, that he had Lyme disease after listening to our show a couple of years ago. His name is Brendan, and his last name is Donahue. He and his family, both his kids, have had Lyme disease and are still being treated for chronic Lyme. So we're going to talk to him about what effects it has had on their lives. Well, hi, Brendan, and welcome to the show. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Now, we have you on to talk a little bit about the struggle you and your family have had. Robin, uh, your wife, is one of our biggest listeners and also an auditor of the Horse Radio Network. We love Robin. She also has co-hosted a number of the shows, helped me out on occasion. So thank you for letting me borrow her on occasion. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. So, I mean, I guess I should mention that uh, it's, it's actually thanks to, uh, to you and your podcast that uh, that I got steered in the direction of actually getting the Lyme test. So, oh, was that um, right? Was it from the last one yeah. we did? That last yeah. Episode? Oh, wow! I didn't know that. I didn't know right. that part. So, uh, so yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of come full circle. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. That was two years ago that we did that show. Uh, you know what happened to your family? Sure. So um, I'm going to go back potentially a little bit farther, um, if that's all right. Yep. To um, so. Uh, 2011, uh, in there, I started having, you know, strange symptoms around, um, like fear pangs. Um, I'm not sure how to describe it, but, but basically I, you know, feel like my, um, just, just fear, just, uh, 
you know, like, oh my gosh, I forgot something, you know, for no real good reason other than, you know, the girl screaming in the backseat or, or things like that. Um, and uh, and uh, I had these heart palpitations, so I'd, basically I'd be trying to go to sleep and I'd feel my heart beating in random parts of my body um, or, you know, uh, throbbing in my neck and making noise against the pillow, stuff like that. Um, then in October uh, of that year, I started getting, you know, kind of numbness in my hands and starting to have trouble concentrating. I went to go see a doctor about it and they, they diagnosed me with um, hypothyroidism. Uh, so, uh, so I started on some uh, hormone replacement at that point. Then in uh, 2012, um, lots of other things started happening too. You know, this is all a very gradual progression. So um, my face started tingling and burning, um, and that that sensation would move around between my cheeks, my cheeks, my chin, and my lips. And um, I, you know, become disoriented. I have a, uh, the occasional stabbing pain behind my eyes. Uh, you know, occasional vision loss for just a moment. And then towards the end of 2012. Um, I was getting to the point where I'd be disoriented and confused uh, at times. I, um, I remember sitting at my desk in, in my office uh, at work and uh, not being able to read what was on my monitors. Um, and for electrical engineer, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of have to know where all those bits and parts go. So That's right, yeah. exactly. So... Um, so and then and then these other it's like I was sitting at my desk and I I'd, I'd have what felt like a head rush um, and uh, so I um, I went to go see you know after after some ER visits of course um, I went to go see a neurologist and uh, um, you know he did all sorts of you know things around checking out my head and my heart you know EEGs EKGs uh, halter monitors. Uh, carotid artery dopplers, um, blood pressure monitoring, things like that. You know, all that stuff came back clear. You know, um, I passed the, the treadmill stress test. No no concerns there. So, um, you know, while this is all going on, Robin's trying to, you know, kind of think of, you know, doctors that we could go see potentially. And um, she found a nutrition-based doctor that, um, you know, the, the symptoms that she had kind of listed were, you know, similar to some of the ones that I've been complaining about. And uh, I went to see her and uh, was instructed to go uh, gluten-free um, and and actually paleo kind of at the same time. Um, and uh, what was kind of interesting is that, you know, at that point I finally learned that, um, that you know, gluten sort of induces an auto, autoimmune reaction on some people anyway, that... Um, uh, that ends up targeting the thyroid gland as well. So, um, you know, as, as, you, as I mentioned, you know, I discovered years you know, years earlier that I was having thyroid issues. Uh, potentially, if I had been gluten free earlier, maybe I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't be in that spot. But um, uh, anyway, so so you know, in some regards, things started getting better, but in other regards, other things got worse. Like um, Later on in 2013, I started having uh, severe chest pain uh, occasionally in the middle of the night. Um, I went and had uh, my gallbladder checked out, 
and uh, yeah, it was a little bit sludgy, but nothing significant there. Um, so it was finally at that point that uh, Robin uh, heard your your Lime episode um, uh, podcast, and uh, <clears throat> we we asked around, you know, um, and tried to get our uh, our current doctors to you know help provide a Lyme test. We couldn't actually get any of our doctors to uh, to do that. Um, so we found a um, an integrated medicine place in the Austin area, and they um, you know they were able to supply a CD57 and um, Igenix Lyme tests. Um, mine kind of came back uh, when it came to Igenix. Mine kind of came back questionable. Um, but um, um, for for both Reliosus and uh, Bartonella, um, and uh, so then you know kind of after that, that we we finally said, well, gee, we better I better go see a, a Lyme doctor. I don't I don't see this getting better without uh, you know some serious intervention. So the nearest um, doctor to me was in the Dallas area, so it's a four hour drive away, and. Uh, he clinically diagnosed me with uh, uh, Borreliosis, um, you know, Lyme, and uh, Bartonella. So at that point, at the end of 2013, I started on broad-spectrum antibiotics. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, I, I don't know if Robin would say this, but I, I sort of think of myself as a skeptic. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people tell me stuff, and I just, I have a tendency to, um, not believe them. <laughs> so, um, so you know, even when the tests were coming back, you know, kind of questionable and stuff like that, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere. Well, what was funny is I had done some reading, and I had learned about Herpsheim reaction, and uh, I, I thought, well, you know, this would be the, the final test, you know, getting started on antibiotics. And one of the things that my linebacker said before he started me on antibiotics was he said, do the bottoms of your feet hurt? And I said, no, why? He said, oh, interesting. And I said, okay, well, whatever. And then sure enough, not a day or two after starting on uh, uh, Rifampin, uh, the bottom of my feet were, were just killing me. Um, you know, I got up out of bed, and I, it hurt to stand up. Um, and even <laughs> embarrassingly, uh, to sit on a toilet, it seems like uh, the Bartonella uh, the uh, has a tendency to kind of collect in the foot and the rear end area, <laughs> the lowest points in the body, you know. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, so um, then also last year, the Lyme doctor also discovered through blood tests that I had toxoplasmosis, um, and this was likely due to you know kind of a weakened immune system and the fact that Lyme kind of plays tricks on on your immune system. Uh, it was also last year that we had the little girls tested. They came back positive on the Igenix test uh, for Borreliosis. So we started them. Uh, we had to actually go to Missouri to find the nearest um, Lyme pediatrician. So we've been there uh, twice. So from Texas on... to Missouri, you had to go. That's right. So how so, much do you think this has cost you for you and your family between you and your girls out of pocket at this point? I don't know. We're, we're probably on the low end compared to most people, but I, I guess, you know, ten to $15,000. That, and, and that's the low end compared to most people. And that's well, what I, I guarantee I you're going to feel that, better. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Are you feeling better, by the way? I think for the most part, you know, I, I think, you know, the thing that has really improved a lot in the last you know, year and a half of being on blood spectrum antibiotics has actually been um, my mental faculties. You know, um, you know, I, I no longer feel like I'm sitting at my desk just, you know, drooling, um, trying to, you know, rub two brain cells together. I, I feel like I have most of my uh, cognitive abilities back. Um, a lot of the other symptoms have kind of disappeared, and other ones are very intermittent. Um, like the face burning is very intermittent. Um, the, uh, you know, um, some of the other, you know, minor symptoms have kind of gone away. Um, but I still have some. That said, you know, my Lyme doctor has basically said, you know, after a year and a half or so, I should be wrapping things up. And so um, I expect to be going off of antibiotics at any, any point now. So how long have you been on the antibiotics total? A uh, year and a half. That's, That's a long time. Long time. <laughs> do you do you feel like? Um, I mean, I know it's it's a year on antibiotics, and you're you're still fighting this battle. But once you actually got your mind around the fact that you had this, and that there was a potential course of treatment, um, did you feel yourself change? Did you feel going yourself going from desperation to hope? And how, yeah, where do you stand now with that? Yeah, so I'm still hopeful. You know, there are still days when I'm like, man, are we sure it's Lyme? You know, why do I still have this symptom? Mm. So, um, you know, that said, I'm still, you know, cautiously optimistic and, and hopeful um, as opposed to feeling like I'm scrambling and, you know, just interrogating every doctor I see, um, you know, trying to get information. So, but yeah, things are things are definitely better than they were, um, and you know, with respect to the girls, we've we've certainly noticed um, an improvement in their attitudes. Um, they've they are you know on the the four antibiotics at a time uh, thing. They're it's a rotation. It's a you know a minimum of a month on one antibiotic and then move on to the next. Right. Um, so you know, it's still uh, not ideal because you know they're coming up on. Oh, like nine months or a year at this point uh, for them, but uh, but certainly we've been able to tell a difference in their demeanor. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today and telling your story. I know that two years ago when we did the last show, you probably couldn't have come on here and even talked about it because you didn't have the f- the brain function to do that. <laughs> so I appreciate right. I appreciate you being here and. Uh, thank you so much. Give a plug for your wife's business. She does a uh, carriage. She has a carriage business. She'll do your wedding or any other kind of event. And why don't you tell everybody what the website is? Sure. It's www.fantasiacarriage.com. Fantasiacarriage.com. And she just yeah. got a new horse she'd like to try out at your event. Uh, <laughs> it, right. It's very well trained. You don't have to worry about it. It'll be, it'll be fine. It won't carry the bride <laughs> yeah, to yeah. the next county or off a cliff. Unless uh, that's you, where you want to go. Yeah, unless, unless you want to go off a cliff. And then I'm sure she'd be happy to oblige. Thank you, Brendan. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for All getting right. the word out about Lyme. I appreciate it. Thanks right. again. Take care.
I hope that all of you got something out of today, and if nothing else, an awareness of what to look for the next time you find that tick and start to not feel so well, or you don't find the tick and start to not feel so well. I want to end the show with two things today. The first thing I want to do is share a poem, at least part of a poem, about half of a poem, that was written by Mary Hastings in 2003. I have to cut down the length because of time here. And I want to dedicate this poem to my lovely wife, Jennifer, who has taken care of me all through these years, and to my family and friends who have also been there, including Helena, who've also been there for me in those times when when I needed it and when I could not function and provide the kind of support for the family that they needed, uh, that they were there for me, and I so wished I could be there for them. And then we're going to end the show with a song that was sung by Ishan Reina, for his mom, who has Lyme disease, and it's called I Won't Give Up. While from the outside I may seem normal, it's the part that you can't see, the constant pain and struggles within that are ever so apparent to me. Although I may wear a smile, oftentimes it's covering the tears, yet not tears because of sadness, as it often may appear. Don't be too quick to judge, though, because there is so much more than is known. What may seem to look like one thing just might turn to prove so wrong. I may sometimes seem unfriendly or too centered around self, because sometimes standing takes all I've got, and there is just no energy left. Sometimes my words may sound awkward. My communication may not always convey. My true inner thoughts and feelings aren't always expressed by what I say. You may think that I'm not really listening. Sometimes my face or speech may not show, but I do hear every word you say. I really want you to know. The information doesn't always process as quickly and as clearly, and sometimes it may take me longer to interpret what I hear. I possibly miss many opportunities to offer needed love or support because sometimes it just takes too long for my thoughts and words to sort. So if my actions seem inappropriate in the things I say or do, I hope that you can understand that it's not because of you. There are times I get discouraged when faced to accept my inability. It's hard to admit my limitations, and it leaves me feeling so guilty. Yet every moment is a reminder, as I look all around, the effort it takes just to get through the day, just peeking my feet up off the ground. I'm not looking to find pity, I'm just attempting to explain that the person that you may often see and the real me aren't exactly the same. You may not see the peace and joy when you look upon my face, because I know that each day I live, it's because of God's amazing grace. It's hard to always be cheerful when the pain is so very real, and not everyone can comprehend the extent of how I feel. I don't see it as though all bad, although I'd much rather it not be so, but I know what I must endure. God will strengthen me as I go. To have a chronic illness or disability that one may bear somehow puts life into perspective and helps to make us more aware. I see so many people less fortunate than me don't have to look very far. There are so many suffering all around. It doesn't matter who you are. It just is hard not to get depressed when I see the burden of my family must bear, the fact that I cannot always meet their needs. No one could be more aware. There are times I feel like giving up when I look too far ahead, but I know if my loved ones were given the choice, they would just choose to have me here instead. 
So when you see the way I look, when my insecurities are in view, base who I am on what's inside, not by the things I can do. I have to believe that what I am going through now will somehow work together for good, and one day it will be revealed and all things will be understood. While I still worry about what you think, the more the example that I may show, I am learning so much more each day that this has really helped me to grow. By Mary Hastings, written May of 2003. You used to say we'd always be together. I felt for you like Romeo, a pirate and his treasure. Gone are the days with the wind. This is today, my friend. When we were young, we were dreamers, firefighters, astronauts, and ballerinas. Gone are the days with the wind. This is today, my friend. I won't give up. I won't give up, I won't give up, I won't give up on you. I won't give up, I won't give up, I won't give up, I won't give up on you. Now we've learned some, grown a little taller. Black and white, can't you see it's time to live in color? I won't give up. I won't give up. I won't. 